The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. I think one of the most important questions for our time is this. Is there anyone you can really trust? Is there anyone you can trust? In other words, is anyone faithful? I think as a society, we're aching this question. Is there anyone you can trust? For instance, uh, how many of you think you can trust the media? How many of you think you can trust politicians? Uh, Does the culture think they can trust religions? Pastors? Um, Ethnicities can't trust one another. Lovers can't trust one another. Businesses can't trust one another. Economies crash over what? Corruption, fraud. Not only so, in, in, in this day and age, we're secularists, so we don't think God himself is trustworthy. And we definitely don't think his word is trustworthy. We don't trust anybody, because we don't think anyone's faithful. And there's a grain of truth to that. Who can we trust? The thing is, in a scenario like this, if you follow this line of thinking, you become a secularist yourself, no one to trust, there's only one person left to trust, and who is it? It's yourself. I'm going to trust myself. I can't trust them. i got to trust myself, which means if you trust yourself, ultimately, you become your own authority. You become your own authority. You have to look to yourself. And so now you become dominated by your opinions or your feelings or your desires. There's no one else to trust. You have to trust yourself. You become your own authority. Here's the problem with that. Here's my theory. If self is the only authority, no one will ever be trustworthy. If self is the only authority, no one will ever be trustworthy. Why? Well, if yourself becomes your authority, you're going to base your life on your preferences, your feelings, and your desires. And one thing that's true about you if you make yourself your own authority is that your preferences change. So if your preferences change, what does that mean for keeping your word? If you don't have a higher authority to look to other than yourself, if you don't feel like you should keep your word and you live for yourself, well, guess what? Don't keep your word. If yourself is your authority, you won't keep your promises. Number two, you won't value sacrifice. If self is the ultimate and you live for yourself, why on earth would you be motivated to sacrifice? So why would you keep your promises when it hurts? Because this is the core of faithfulness, right? If you only keep your word when it's easy or when it's beneficial, yay for you. Faithfulness shows itself when you keep your word even though it what? It hurts. Will you keep your promise even though it's painful? Are you faithful? So we're in this modern conundrum, I think. We're cynics. Every, we, we don't, everybody lies. We can't trust anybody. So we have to make ourselves the authority, but the more we do that, the more I live for myself, the less motivated I'll be to sacrifice or keep my promises when my preferences change. So there's no faithfulness anywhere. And here is where the God of the Bible and we as his people can really stand out. Here we really stand out. We've been working from Galatians 5, thinking through the fruit of the Spirit, and one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is, the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. Faithfulness. So fruit of the Spirit, the Apostle Paul teaches if you have a real relationship with God, through Jesus Christ, you've trusted in him to save you from your sins, that means you have the Holy Spirit. 
The, person, the third person of the Trinity is in you and with you, and the Christian life is now walking with him. You're relying on him uh, for strength. You're listening to his promises through his word, and as you do that, you're going to bear fruit. So it's going to come out of you organically, just like an orange tree gives you some oranges. A Christian tree is going to give you the character of Jesus, and one of his characteristics is faithfulness. And so as you walk by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and evidence that you're a Christian in your life should be what? Faithfulness. Are you faithful? But number one, we're going we're to be doing what we've been doing in all these messages. We're going to look at God's faithfulness. You know, just backing up for a minute, don't you think of this list of the fruit of the Spirit as also kind of a list of the attributes of God? We've been looking at who he is. You know, fruit of the Spirit is love. Well, what kind of love? Where, where do you look to see love? You look to God and his love. Not only this, it's the fruit of the Spirit, it's God's love in you. It's a unique kind of love. Uh, same thing, the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. How, how are you going to measure what faithfulness is? We're going to see a picture of it. Well, look at God. I mean, the Bible just screams it from beginning to end. He's faithful. So we're going to look at his faithfulness, and then we're going to look at two ways faithfulness can be seen in our own lives. What does the fruit of the Spirit faithfulness look like in our own lives? We're going to work from the sixth chapter of Hebrews here. Uh, in Hebrews, the author is writing to people who really need to know that God is faithful. Why? They're suffering persecution. So what would you be tempted to do if the government was uh, clawing after you and you're losing your business or you're losing your, your relationships or even your health because you follow Christ? What would you be tempted to do? I'll be a secret agent Christian. I'll follow him in my heart, not tell anyone else. Or I'll just be a nice person. I'll let go of the Christian thing. Uh, is Jesus worth your faithfulness? That's a huge question in Hebrews. Is he good enough to suffer for? To, to do that, you have to really believe that God himself is faithful to you. Is he going to be everything he says he's going to be? Is he going to be enough? And so the author here, he's just... Well, he says it straight. I want you to have strong encouragement. More than that, he says, God wants you to have strong encouragement that you can make it through anything because God is so faithful. So we're going to see a picture of God's faithfulness. And just to get you ready, I think we're going to see five snapshots of his faithfulness in this passage. So look for it. It's going to be his promise, his oath, his purpose, his character, his son. They're all going to build on each other. God's promise, God's oath, God's purpose, God's character, God's son. We're going to see all that in this passage again. We're looking at God's faithfulness. So we'll begin in Hebrews 6, 13 to 14. Look what the author says. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I'll bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. First thing you see, what did God make to Abraham? A promise. God made a promise to Abraham. If you remember it, you can read about it if, later if you want. It's in Genesis 12. God goes to Abraham. He's a tribal chieftain, really, in a city of Ur. God says to him, I want you to leave all that. I want you to leave everything. I want you to follow me, and I want you to come with me to the land I will show you. <laughs> if you're Abraham, can you give me more than that, like directions? You know, do you have a Google map for this? No, just, just come to the land I'll show you. 
and I'm going to make of you a great nation. Abraham had no children. He was already an old man. I'm going to make of you a great nation, and not only that, through you, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth. This is really the first promise of the gospel. Through Abraham and the people that come from Abraham, God is going to save the earth. Huge promise. What would it take to follow that? Abram had to believe God. He had to believe him. If you're a kid, you know, stuck in a high tree, and, and your daddy says, jump. Or if, if you're in the third story of a building, and it's on fire, and the firemen hold out the thing, and they say, jump. You have to believe that they are willing and able to catch you. Willing? I'm, no, I'm, I'm serious. I'm not going to say, hey, jump, and then be like, oops, Sorry. I'm, I'm willing, I'm going to do it, you have my heart, and I'm able, I can actually catch you. Faith looks at God and says, you're willing and able, you're good for your promise. So God makes this promise to Abraham, and Abraham followed him. That's what Abraham's known for, he was good at believing God. Not just believing in God, hey Abraham, do you, do you believe I exist? I guess. No, Abraham, come and follow me. Do you believe me? Yeah, and then what does Abraham do? Follows. He goes. That's what faith does. It follows. But you see right away, and something wonderfully unique and beautiful about our God, our God makes promises. Isn't your faith totally based on this? God makes promises. Um, this, this is the whole Bible. Trust me. Believe me. And you know, when you do this, it glorifies him. That's why we're, this is why God made it to where you're saved by faith. It glorifies him. Because what are you saying about his character? I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you'll do what you'll say you do. And if you don't believe it, what does that do? That demeans him. Uh, you're a liar, God. Or you're too weak to actually do what you say you're going to do. Or you don't want to actually do it. Demeans him. So it's huge. God makes promises. We respond with faith. And this is the Christian life. The Apostle Paul said, we walk by what? Faith and not by sight. That doesn't mean you're an idiot with no evidence for what you believe and you're, I just believe, you know. That's not what it's talking about at all. It's saying you believe God's promises even when your circumstances as yet don't have any evidence that those promises are taking place. You believe it before you see it because God said it. That's what faith is. And that's the Christian life. That'd be great enough. And isn't it a God that keeps promises, makes and keeps promises? God goes a step further in this passage. He swears an oath about his promise. He swears an oath about his promise. Let me show it to you. The author of Hebrews is referring to Genesis twenty-two sixteen. So look what God said here in Genesis twenty-two sixteen to Abram. He said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. Now you've heard of this, right? Uh, even verse 16 of our passage Author of Hebrews writes, people swear by something greater than themselves and all their disputes and oath is final for confirmation. Um, I don't know, when you were a kid, did you do pinky swear or something? I super duper swear. Uh, if you're in court, they make you swear by the Bible. At least they, I don't know how long it'll last, but the idea is there's something greater. So I'm gonna make a promise, but just so you know how much I mean this, I'm not gonna swear just on myself. I'm gonna look to something even bigger and base my promise on that thing. Or maybe, you know, I swear by my mother's grave, they'll say. What's going on? 
You're saying, on my mother's memory, on her honor, if she meant anything to me, I promise you I'll keep this promise. So if I, you're saying, if I don't keep this promise, I'm telling you I hate my mom. My mom means nothing to me. And I could never do that, so you know I'll keep my promise. What's God going to swear by? Isn't this amazing that God would do this at all anyway? I mean, wouldn't a promise from God be enough? I promise I'll do it. But God does even more. I swear by that I'll keep my promise. But here's the thing. Where's God going to look to swear? Where does he go to find something great? I swear by the mountains. No, I made those. Uh, God couldn't find anything better than himself. Because this is the top of the mountain for faithfulness. This is, this is it right here. This is the best thing he is. I swear by myself that I'll keep this promise to you. And this is really amazing because what he is saying is, in as much as I am God, I'll keep this promise. Which means he's also saying, if I don't keep this promise, I'm not even God. I'm not worthy of worship. I didn't make everything. Don't look to me. Do you realize how epic this is for God to say that? He's basing his godness on keeping his promise, which means there's no way he's not keeping his promise. He will absolutely keep it. You, you see here with, with God's faithfulness, this is a black and white issue. If God isn't perfectly faithful, he isn't God. That's what he's telling you. He's basing his whole reputation, his whole name, on his faithfulness that he keeps his promise. He makes an oath, I'll do it. And of course, verse 15, did Abraham receive the promises? Did he receive them? Verse 15, and thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. You know, one of, this, one of the benefits of this amazing book we call the Bible is that you get to see God's actions in history for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so you get to watch God in his relationship with Abraham and what happens afterwards. And you can see over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, does God keep his promises? I mean, read the, read the narratives of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Read, read it in Joshua. Read it in 1 Kings, 2 Kings. Read the pro prophets. Try to count up promises and prophecies, if you will. And then watch how God keeps every single one. Over hundreds of years where different authors at different times writing their different books are showing you that God keeps his promises, even when it seems like it'll take a while. Uh, did God keep his promise to send Jesus? Hundreds, of, hundreds and hundreds of years he promised, before Christ, he promised he would send Jesus. And he gave a whole slew of prophecies about what that would look like, what Jesus would be like, even where he'd be born. And then you read the Gospels, does God keep his promise? Every single one. God kept his promises, kept his promises to Abraham. He had Isaac. Isaac became a family. They became a nation. They got the land. God kept his promises. And he's still keeping them. Did God save the world through Abraham and his people? Well, out of, the, out of Israel came Jesus, the promised king. And is God still building Abraham's family, right? Who are we today? According to Galatians 3, if you trust Jesus, you are a child of Abraham because you're part of the people of faith. You believe God's promises too. That's what's so amazing about this passage because according to the author of Hebrews, God was thinking about more than just Abraham when he made this promise. Look at verse 17. 
So when God desired to show more convincingly to whom? Look at, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, who's that? That's Christians. We've received the promise of God in the Abrahamic covenant. I'll be your God, you'll be my people. I'll save you by grace through faith. I'm gonna send the one who's gonna save you. We're the heirs of the promise. So when God is swearing by himself to Abraham, he's also thinking into the future of you so that you would see his faithfulness when you need it. God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose. God has a purpose. His purpose is to save and redeem his people and take them into the new heavens and the new earth and lavish his kindness on them forever through Jesus Christ. That's his purpose. Is he going to change? You know, Ephesians 1, it says that God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world to adopt you as his child. That's a long time ago. Um, Is God going to change his mind on that? Is he going to flip and be like, you know what, I didn't see really how hard this was going to be. You know, for us, what do we do with our purpose? Will you be there? You know, you sign up to serve or do something. Will you be there? Yeah, I'll be there. Oh, you know, I can. I. And you know the joke, right? Can you, you want to go, I have to got to clean out my purse. I got to, you know, some, something. Oh, I got, I got another, I can't. Part of it that happens, we're weak. We're not strong like God thinks change in our lives. You have to make some adjustments. But, but our purpose has changed. We feel passionate about one thing. Hey, I'm in. I'm going to do this. Oh, never mind. Does God do that with you? Man, where would we be if he did? He keeps his, his purpose to save you is unchangeable. It's going to take it all the way to the end. Because his purpose, his character, or his, his unchangeable purpose is based on his character, Look what he says in verse 18. Well, actually, I'll back up to 17 for context. When God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things, that's his promise and his oath, also we've seen his character. And then the the author says in 18, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. There you see his character. It's not possible for God to lie. Isn't that beautiful? He's never told a lie. He has never made a promise and not kept it. It's not possible. He wouldn't be God. You see, the foundation of faithfulness is God and his character. He won't lie. He'll keep his promise to the end. He is faithful at any cost. And what's it supposed to do in you and I, verse 18? We who have fled for refuge, don't you love that picture of faith? Fled for refuge. We're like refugees. We have no home. Where do we run? Run to Jesus. We fled for refuge in him, refuge from our sins, refuge from our lostness. We run to Jesus so that those who have fled for refuge might have what? What does God want you to have as you think about his faithfulness? Strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope. Strong, not a little, strong. Strong what? Encouragement. You can do it. You can make it. Keep going to the hope. God's going to come through. He's going to come through. Strong encouragement 
to hold fast to the hope, hold fast, hold fast. Why do we stay faithful in this passage? Because God is faithful. God is faithful. He wants to encourage you with his faithfulness. You've seen his promise, his oath, his purpose, his character. It gets even better. One more thing to see about God's faithfulness. Look at verses 19 to 20. Remember, he wants you to hold sure and steadfast, right, to the hope. Well, verse 19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Don't you love that idea? What's an anchor do? You're in a boat. The waves could take you away out to sea. You're lost. You better have a good anchor. That anchor holds solid to the reef or whatever so that the boat won't be swept away and you're lost. The anchor holds fast. We have an anchor of the soul. Now, with an anchor, right, the anchor's down there hang, holding fast to whatever it is, and it's connected by a chain or something to the boat. So the anchor and the boat are connected. We have an anchor of the soul. So your soul, in this line of thinking, is connected to something. Except it's a living hope, because look, it's a hope that enters. Your soul is connected to someone. Look at this. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Who's your anchor? Jesus Christ is your anchor. When you put your faith in him, you are united to Christ. It's like there's a big chain connecting your soul to Jesus Christ, and he's your anchor. And what reef is he locked into? Well, it says he's gone behind the curtain in the inner place. The author of Hebrews, he's writing to Jews. He's thinking of the temple. So what's the special room behind the veil in the temple? It's the Holy of Holies, right? That's where God's presence is. And you, Old Testament, you can't even go in there. If you're a high priest, you can go in there for like five minutes. Even then, you got to wear bells on your clothes. So if you die, we can hear you're not ringing anymore. And we got to tie your ankle to a rope and pull your your carcass out if you don't make it, because God's holy. You never know if you're going to make it. Can you really be in his presence and survive, you know? So Jesus went up in there, and he's fine, the perfect high priest. And guess who's tethered to him there in the holy of holies? You are. And he's gone there as a forerunner. So what's forerunner mean? He went there first. And he's going to bring you in. You're coming too into the very presence of God. That's your hope. He's alive, the living hope. And then the author says he's a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I'm not going to take the time to explain Melchizedek right now. So you just have to trust me. What it means is he's an eternally faithful priest. That's what it means. He's eternally faithful. So his sacrifice on the cross was enough to make you right with God, to get you in God's presence, and it was enough, as the author of Hebrews says a bunch of times, once and for all, it's perfect. Not only that, Jesus isn't like a priest in the Old Testament. He, he lives, he dies, he's got to offer sacrifices for himself because he's not that great, he's a sinner too. Jesus is so much better than that. One sacrifice, perfect, eternal. He's the eternal priest forever. So he's eternally faithful, and your soul is anchored to him. How faithful is God that he would give you his son as your priest and anchor you to Jesus Christ? 
You think, you think, you, you think he's going to let go on that? He's so faithful. And you just think for a moment about the life of Jesus. Jesus came faithfully. You ever been nervous like right before a surgery or something? Right before something you didn't want to do? Ooh, I don't know if I can do this. I have no idea what it's like for Jesus, but it's kind of a downgrade to go from God to taking on flesh, you think? Are you really going to do this? Are you really going to take on flesh and suffer? Did he do it faithfully? When he was here on the earth, walking in our shoes, was he faithful in his life? Was he faithful to his relationships? Was he faithful to the Father? Perfectly faithful. What about when he faced the cross? Was he faithful to walk up, to walk into the cross for you? Did he waver or did he go right in? He's faithful. Went to the cross. He rose and he reigns. You think he's still gonna be faithful to you, faithful to you now, now that he's reigning? He's faithful. You can trust him. Do you see God's promise, God's oath, God's purpose, God's character, God's son? You should be encouraged with something. Guess what? God is He's faithful. You can trust him. So then, for those who know him, for those who trust him, we put our faith in him. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Faithfulness. So what should be growing out of you if you trust in Jesus Christ? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Integrity. And, real, and biblically, I think there's two main areas to think about in this. Think about our faithfulness. Number one, it's faithfulness to God, or really loyalty to God. And second, it'd be faithful, uh, in, faithful to others with an, in integrity in our relationships. You know, throughout the Old, the Old Testament, Israel was called unfaithful. Why were they called unfaithful? Well, they were in covenant with God, and they'd agreed, God, you'll be my God, we'll be your people. And so how are they supposed to live based on that relationship? We're gonna believe your word. And what did they do in general? They didn't. They were unfaithful. They said, we'll worship you. They went to worship other things. We'll obey you. They did other things. Unfaithful. What about you? Are you in a covenant with God if you're a Christian? Is there an agreement, right? You don't, we're not, hear me carefully. I'm not saying you earn your salvation by your faithfulness. Gosh, that would be upside down. It's a different religion. It's not like you gotta show yourself faithful and God's like, all right, I'll let you be a Christian. It's totally the opposite of the gospel. In the gospel, we're so unfaithful to God. We've disobeyed him in every way, but God's faithful to us even though we're unfaithful and he saves us by the faithfulness of Christ and you get that as a gift when you trust Jesus. It's a free gift. So you get all the blessings of God's faithfulness before you're ever faithful. I should get an amen right there, Protestant people, okay. Good. But now that you're in covenant with God, right, does he want you to be faithful to him? Look at Romans 1. So many passages about this. But look at these two things from Romans 1. First of all, in Romans 1, 5, Paul's writing to introduce himself, and he says, we've received grace and apostleship to bring about something. What does he want to bring about? The obedience of faith. He wants to bring about the what? The obedience of faith. Now back up again. We're talking about God's promises. Faith is believing God's promises to the point that you follow them. You believe his promises enough to jump, to trust him. And Paul says here he wants to preach the gospel to bring about the obedience of faith. 
Personally, I see two things. Number one, believing the gospel is obedience. God has said to the word, the world, trust my son. So to trust in his son actually is obedience. He enables it by his spirit that you would obey him by trusting the gospel. But the, th- the second thing we see is, if you trust God, what else will you do? You'll obey. Isn't the proof of trusting God that you obey him? Yeah, God, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you, your law that you've said is good. I believe that you judge wickedness, that you save the righteous. I, I believe, so I'm going to act. So but belief, you know. It's not a mental assent to a factoid that you heard once. It's not a survey answer. Do you believe there's God? Yes. That's good, but do you follow him? Do you trust? Do you, um, in camp, I used to say to the kids, right, faith is like sitting in a chair. You could know the chair mentally will hold you up, but when do you really trust the chair? It's somewhere in between like here and, right, when you let it hold your weight. You've acted on that trust in the chair. Do you trust God? Do you trust his word? you believe it's true and act upon it? That's faith. And then Paul says in Romans 1.17, the righteous, what? Live by faith. This is our life. Trusting God's promises. Faith believes and trusts. And that's why faith obeys. Hebrews 11 is this great passage on faith. I encourage you, read it later. Hebrews 11. And you'll see these people, because they trusted God, they lived. They did stuff because they believed. So what I'm telling you is the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. That means we're going to be loyal to God through his word. Loyal to God through his word. Look at Psalm 119, 29. Look at what the author prays. He's praying. He prays to God. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me what? Your law. I want to know what you've said. Verse 30. I've chosen the way of what? Faithfulness. And what does that look like? I set your rules before me. I'm faithful because I believe your word and I do it. I live it. I'm going to be faithful to Lord, to my Lord through his word. Fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. So that means you're going to want to know his word. You're going to want to know what he said, and you're going to want to follow it. Not only are we faithful to the Lord through his word, I think we need to be loyal to God by being loyal to his word. To his word. You ever read the Bible and found some passages that embarrass you? Or you, you read some passage and you're like, man, in this culture, I'm afraid to even say those words. You know, it's funny, in every culture, there's some places where the culture will match up more easily with something in Scripture and contradict something else more uh, awkwardly in Scripture. So if you're here preaching in uh, this context and we preach about the dignity of women is so important, and the wonder of diversity. Generally speaking, in this culture, everybody's going to be like, yeah, that's good. What if you go preach that to a church in Iran? Iran, sorry. Thanks, brother. They're going to respond differently, aren't they? Okay? What if you preach certain things on marriage in this culture or on sexuality in this culture? Right? Do you dare even say some of the words the Bible says? 
Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2. This is a test for anybody who ever speaks God's word in any way. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2. We've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. Now, what could it be that Paul's talking about that's disgraceful and underhanded? He then says, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with what? God's word. I'm not messing with it. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. What is Paul saying? I'm going to be loyal to God's word. Because remember, God's character, didn't we see this in Hebrews, is tied to his word. His character, his word comes from his character. That's why faithfulness in scripture is such a black and white issue. If God is not faithful, go home. This is a joke. If God is faithful, he's totally faithful and deserves your entire life. And how do we know whether God is faithful? His word. That's it. That means all of God's word is what? God's word. God's word. So listen, I'm not saying there aren't some passages that are tough to understand and that you need to work hard to really understand what the author means and we're not sure how to apply it. That's absolutely real. That's there. Okay, we don't want to start wars about super mysterious passages that are difficult. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is when you know what the Bible says, a test of your faithfulness to God is whether or not you're going to hide that because you're ashamed or you're like, it's God's word. We present it to everybody. They can decide whether or not they like it or want to believe it. But like, are you embarrassed that God has wrath, for instance? Are you embarrassed of God for his wrath? You know, one time somebody asked me if I was a hellfire and damnation preacher. And I was like, I, I don't know. Um, on one side of the coin, right, the people who emphasize hellfire and damnation, legalistic, wrath, ah, and that's all you get, and where did the gospel go, <laughs> right? But that's not even faithfulness to God's word, is it, to preach without sharing the gospel? So that's unfaithful to just major on wrath all the time. And yet, boy, wouldn't it be tempting in our day and age just to be like, hey, God is love, and he's always love, and he's only love, and you don't ever need to sweat wrath. You're good, live how you want, he's loving, it's fine, it's okay. But what if we said that? We'd be liars. We'd be liars. Because God has wrath. Do we want to tremble before that? Yeah, it's not like I'm sitting in his chair and I'm self, we don't want to be self-righteous about his wrath. We'll be under his wrath if we do that. But he does, he's, and he's not embarrassed of it. He loves what's good. He hates what's evil. It's overwhelming. And I tremble before his wrath, but I don't want to be embarrassed about it because it's who he is. He's faithful. And doesn't that make the cross sweeter? Right? Why do you need Jesus to die for you? I ask all my friends and those religions who, they're going to be saved by their good works. Why is he on the cross? What a stupid thing it would be if he was only an example on the cross. Do you want me to die on a cross for you to show you how much I love you? You'd be like, stop, this is weird, right? Because my death on the cross wouldn't do anything for you. His death on the cross only meant something if he took my place. And what's he taking for me? God's wrath. God was angry at my sin to cross levels. 
So listen, fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. Be faithful to God through his word. Be faithful to God to his word. Don't ever be embarrassed about God's word. Third one, how faithful does God want you to be? Look at Revelation 2.10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. (laughs) Don't you love lines like that? Okay? And then look what God says. Be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. What kind of faithfulness should be seen in Christians towards Jesus Christ? How far are you willing to go? You know, in this day and age, we get to see it on YouTube videos. ISIS take seven or eight people, put black claws over their heads. Deny the sun, or we'll cut your head off. Overwhelming, but it's happening to people. In this day and age, what would you do? Now, I need God's spirit for this, right? I'm not walking in there all braggadocious. This is scary stuff. I'm thinking of my family, right? I don't want to die. I don't want to get my head cut off. But I hope that by God's spirit, I'd say, chop away. I'm going to heaven. Be faithful unto death. And Jesus even says in another place, whoever's ashamed of me. Remember those scary words? Whoever's ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of them before my father. I don't want to be ashamed of Jesus ever for any reason. I want to be faithful. Don't you? Faithful unto death because of his faithfulness to me. Be faithful unto death, and what does Jesus say? I'll give you the crown of life. See, that's, it. that's what it's about. You know, if I compromised my faith so I could see my wife and kids one more time, and I denied Christ, I'd have to go home to him. And what would have happened inside of me? My integrity would have broken. And, so, and what's my relationship with my wife's based on? My integrity. What's my relationship with my kids based on? My integrity. If I give up on Jesus, I've given up on my marriage and my family and everything else. How can I preach next Sunday? You see, if you lose Jesus, you lose everything. I think that helps. If you lose Jesus, you lose everything. Nothing sweet anymore without him. Be faithful to him under death. What will he give you? Life. If you're faithful to Christ, you won't lose anything. Okay. Also, we need integrity in our relationships. We need integrity in our relationships. Don't we need this? Look at Proverbs 12, 22. Lying lips are a what? An abomination. And what does abomination mean? My unofficial definition is he really, really doesn't like it. (laughs) It's an abomination to the Lord. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. But those who act faithfully are his delight. And how many of you have lied? And the rest of you are now liars. (laughs) It's easy to lie. It's so easy to lie. Uh, We want to 
keep things from being awkward. We want to paint ourselves a, a better picture. We got all sorts of reasons. But as God's people, God never, what? He never lies. In fact, how is Satan described by Jesus? The father of lies. This is how the problem got started. Sin started with a lie. So it's so important that God's people, what? We tell the truth. We tell the truth. Even to our hurt, we tell the truth. That doesn't mean you have no tact. How do you like my haircut? Wow. Let me just tell you, you look like a butchered horse. I mean, okay? No, no. Ephesians 4.29, you want to think about how to talk, right? Be gracious. It has to be the right thing for the, at the right time for the right reason, okay? There's ways to talk. Talk with grace. But really, the lies we're talking about are lies to cover your mess, make yourself look better, get out of, tell the truth. Not only that, live the truth. Are you the same person everywhere? Think of your different groups of friends, your different group of people, where you work, and how you are at church. Are you different? Do you talk about, use different jokes? Singing all about Jesus? Are, Are you excited about Jesus in other places? Okay, lying lips are an abomination, but those who act faithfully, characters faithful, integrity, are God's what? Delight. Number two, keep your commitments from your heart. Look at this section from Psalm 15. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Don't you want to be in God's tent? Hang out on his hill. Who's going to be with you? Who are your people? Here's who, verse two. He who walks blamelessly, does what is right, speaks truth in his heart, and verse four, swears to his hurt and does not change. You make a promise and you don't change. So, I was thinking of an illustration for this. Maybe this, I hope this is helpful. Anything from like you agree to, you agree to babysit or something, but then you've got, after you agree, your, your friends say, oh, there's a rock concert here and I got you a ticket. What do you do? Now, is it okay to make an agreement with the first party and be like, hey, I have this opportunity. Is it okay if I find you another babysitter? And if they say, great, Sure. You've covered your bases, okay? It doesn't mean your plans can't change. I can't see into the future. I don't know what's going to happen, right? Um, so we can make adjustments. But what needs to take place if I make that commitment? I will somehow cover for my commitment. I'm not going to leave you in the lurch. Even though the situation changes, I'm going to come through. I'm going to be there. And think about that for, for work, when we have a contract with someone, when we make an agreement, do we keep our promises even when it hurts? Or think about it at volunteering at church. No, you can't do the same job forever and ever. Yes, we get sick and go on vacation. That's all great. It's wonderful. But are we faithful? Are we covering? Are we having integrity? We keep our word. Do you see that? Swear to our own hurt and don't change. What about our marriages? What did you swear? 
If you made this promise, listen, I'll be halfway nice to you as long as you satisfy all my inward emotional needs. If that was your promise, then you're good. Most of the marriages, most of the weddings I went to, the promises were different. I got myself in a big old bind because I said, I'm going to honor you in everything, in good or in ill, till death do us part. Dang. Keep our promises. Faithfulness is challenging, isn't it? How about this one? Look at Luke 16, 10 and verse 13. Jesus says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. So where should we be faithful? It's just the big important things. Got to be faithful in everything that we can. Everything, integrity, faithful in little. In fact, if, if you can't be faithful in little, you probably won't be faithful in the big ones. Be faithful in everything, and then Jesus has the gall and audacity to bring up money. <laughs> Look at verse 13. No one can serve two masters. He'll either hate one or love the other. He'll be devoted to one or despise the other. You can't serve God and money. So is he talking about faithfulness with your money? Are you faithful to God when it comes to your money? That's what he's saying. What does that mean? Uh, it means a lot. It means a lot. You know, do we, are we in a bunch of debt? Credit card debt? Sometimes you can't help it. I, I just wonder, are we doing our best to be faithful? Are we budgeting as faithfully as we can? Are we using what, who, whose money is it anyway, remember? It's God's, right? And we're stewarding what he's given us. Are we using as faithfully as we can in ways that please him? Uh, are, are we giving generously to his mission in the world? I would never say you have to do your money X, Y, and Z, A, B, C. You have to do it like me. I would never say that. That would be legalism. Um, but I think God's word challenges to ask the question, right? Are we faithful with the little things and the little things here? Are you faithful with your money for the kingdom? One last one. Be faithful through your local church. One more passage from Hebrews. Look at Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That's pretty much what we covered in chapter six, right? He's faithful, hold fast. Okay, how do we do this every day? Well, I got a tip for you, he's saying. Verse 24, and let us consider how to what? Stir up one another to love and good works. So in other words, if I'm gonna be faithful to Jesus, I need you to stir me up, and you need me to stir you up, and we need one another to stir each other up, which means, verse 25, what should we not neglect to do? Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. So if we're going to live faithfully for Jesus, the practical way to do that is through what? Local church participation. Isn't it true, the more and more we bail on church, the harder and harder it is to be faithful to Jesus? That's just real. Not only remember, we, in, in Hebrews 6, he says, look at God's faithfulness, that'll encourage you. 
to keep going. Our faithfulness to one another in this passage also encourages us to keep going. I need you to encourage me. You need me to encourage you with God's faithfulness. In fact, with your faithfulness, your faithfulness to Jesus and to me encourages me to keep going and keep being faithful. And the other way around. My faithfulness to you encourages you to be faithful to Jesus and keep going. The only way to be faithful is through, right? Through the local church. The fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. It's faithfulness. So let's wrap it up like this. Who's perfectly faithful? Where do we look? God is faithful. He keeps his promises. He sent you his son. He's the anchor for your soul. Look to him for his faithfulness. And now because he's been so faithful to you, walk by the Spirit, right? Rely on the Holy Spirit. Help me to be faithful in everything. Help me to see the details and be faithful in the details, right? And also, forgive me for when I'm not. We're all unfaithful sometimes. Help me to be faithful. And then look at his word, right? Faithful through his word, seeing his commands, following them. Faithful to his word. Not running in fear because it's, it's hard, but believing in it. And then faithful in our relationships with one another. What we talk, our hearts, how we live, even our money, especially at church. Let's be faithful. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us in Christ. You've never given up. You've never quit. Your faithfulness is unchanging. Lord, we have such a hope in your faithfulness, such assurance in your faithfulness. And God, we want to be faithful like you. Lord, show us where we've, we've just flaked out, where we've been unfaithful. And God, motivate us, Lord, to uh, glorify your integrity in our lives, that we be faithful in what we say, that we be faithful in what we do, We'd be faithful with the people you've put in our lives, with everything that we've been given. We'd be faithful to your word, with your word, Lord, that we'd be faithful at church. Um, God, this is all because you are our solid rock. You are the faithful one, and we love you for it. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.